Hello everyone, Alan Mischer here from Vitality Explorer News with another version of the Vitality Explorer News Podcast. Please sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for a free text message newsletter that focuses on how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. As we always do in the Vitality Explorer News Podcast, let's start it off with a quote. And this one's from Mother Teresa. Quote, we need silence to be able to touch souls. We need silence to be able to touch souls. And I think Mother Teresa is trying to ask us to quiet our lives a little bit. And this is an, this will be an interesting podcast because we're going to talk about a variety of things. Uh, and it's around the holiday time here. We're going to talk about religion, spirituality, and how they can enhance mental health. We're also going to learn, this is part one, we're going to learn how to live in the vitality octagon. And then we're going to finish with a fascinating, fascinating study, at least from my perspective as an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, about how a 20% strength gain can be achieved by, by working on the opposite leg. Very cool stuff. So please uh, check out the Vitality Explorer news Substack site. And our, our goal, our mission here is to enhance global vitality one person at a time. So let's jump into that first section First, first thing we're going to talk about is religion, spirituality, and mental health. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year a little early. And I think in this context, I think it's very interesting to look at the data associated with religion and spirituality, but also the neuroscience. So the two studies we're going to look at, um, one of them came up with this uh, conclusion, quote, religion is associated with a lower risk of depression, especially among those with a familial risk. So that was uh, one of the conclusions from a study called the Neuroscience of Spirituality, Religion, Mental Health, a S- Systematic Review and Synthesis. So the study reviewed research about the connections between religion slash spirituality and neurobiology. And here's a couple more quotes from that study. Quote, spirituality, and these are sort of the definitions they have, which I think we need to kind of explore. Everybody has maybe a different version uh, of what they are. But for the, for the purposes of the study, they, they actually define spirituality and religion. And here's their uh, um, definition of spirituality. Quote, spirituality is broadly defined as one's subjective experiences of a higher power and or sense of connection with the transcendent as well as individual search for the sacred. Now that's spirituality. Here's religion. Religion, quote, the religion on the other hand is broadly defined as a system of beliefs and or practices about a higher power uh, and or other transcendent, transcendental force. Okay. So one, there, there's, one is really a subject of experiences of a higher power. The other one is uh, defined as a system of beliefs and or practices about a higher power. So what they found is the paper discussed also the neurobiologic connections and correlations associated with spirituality and religion. And this is where it gets interesting, right? From a science, scientific perspective about spirituality and religion, right? So the, the correlations uh, of having more spirituality and or religion in your life included greater cortical thickness of the brains and decreased default mode neural network connectivity. Okay, let me say that again because I kind of mumbled over that. Correlations included greater cortical thickness in our brains and decreased default mode network connectivity. 
Okay, I had to read about this five times before I understood it. But here's here's part of it. Increased connectivity within the default mode network has been associated with a major depressive disorder. So decreasing it is, is helpful. And here's the quote from another quote from the paper. These neurobiological correlates have been repeatedly associated with reduced risk of depression among adults and suggest a protective effect of spirituality slash religion for mental health. I'm going to repeat that. This is so important because we have ignored spirituality and religion, in my opinion, in the context of mental health. And this is this is published, peer-reviewed, systematic data that says, quote, Neurobiologic correlates have repeatedly been associated with a reduced risk of depression amongst adults and thus suggest a protective effect of spirituality and religion for mental health. And that conclusion should stagger us. It implies that spirituality and religion have specific effects on our brain function that decrease our risk for depression and improve our mental health. So when we're talking about the mental health crisis, which pervades the globe, not just your, your, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, but all over the world, people are struggling with mental health. And only rarely have we been talking about spirituality and religion. So again, this is my opinion about it, but it's based on data now, okay? And I think too often we ignore our spiritual wellness. So um, part of Vitality Explorers, the thesis is that vitality is a skill and it's, it's based on things. And we're going to talk about that in, in the next thing when we talk about living in the vitality octagon, all the specific skills. But your physical, mental, social, and spiritual wellness are key components to living your mo- most vital life. And if you're missing any one of the four or you're not optimized in any one of the four, you're not living your optimal life. That's just, again, my opinion, but that's the thesis we've, we've been working on with um, Vitality Explorers for several years now. And and I think this this data that, that we're talking about right here in this, from this paper should remind us that our spiritual and our mental health are connected, all right? And so um, you can check out the details on Vitality Explorer News on the Substack site, and you can subscribe there uh, to gain access to over 200 review articles on other scientific topics. Um, you know, the rest of the post here about this religion is going to go over a meta-analysis about religion, spirituality, and mental health. And this included almost 80,000 participants. I really do my best to try and identify articles that I think are either impactful in an interesting and novel way or that are reviewing a lot of data so that we're not relying on information that shouldn't be reasonable. So here's the conclusion from that study. Quote, findings of of the present study suggest that religion and spiritual practices are significantly associated with mental health in older adults. That's number one. Number two, people with high religion and spiritual practice levels have a lower prevalence of anxiety, depressive symptoms, and uh, as well as reported greater life satisfaction and psychological well-being, better social relations, and more definitive meaning in life. Wow. Okay. Only rarely is this type of data mentioned in the lay press. People just do not talk about spirituality and religion as much as I think they should in the context of mental health. But I think this this paper also helps us define mental health. And here, give me a, a few quotes here. Quote, mental health is an integral or integral and vital component of health that encompasses emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It refers to the way by which people behave, identifying themselves and and coping with stressful events, thereby affecting how they experience 
and understand events. In contrast, mental health decline is accompanied by high frequency of persistent negative emotions, thoughts, and beliefs that influence the quality of life. Those are from the paper. So it's obvious mental health matters to our vitality. But this, this two papers that we went over today suggest that religion and spirituality can enhance our mental health. Um, you know, once again, the paper crushes it, and I need to really quote from it. Here it is. Quote, religion and spiritual beliefs are far from being just cultural traditions. Indeed, it involves numerous organizational, non-organizational, and, um, uh, I'm sorry, non-organizational and uh, introspective and community practices that might potentially influence behavior. I, I, I messed up a little bit there, so... Forgive me for a second. I'm just going to repeat that sentence because I was quoting from it. Religion and spiritual beliefs are far from being just cultural traditions. Indeed, it involves numerous organizational, non-organizational, introspective and community practices that might potentially influence human behavior. So it, a lot of stuff is going on in that sentence, but I, I needed to boil it down to something simpler. Again, remember, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I need to keep it simple here. And here's my defini def definition of spirituality, and that is belief in something bigger than yourself. So if you are running around this world, running around your neighborhood, running around your, you know, wherever you are, and you are only thinking of yourself, you can never be your most vital self. This is, this is a lot of, this is my opinion here, but I, I, I do believe that if we believe in something bigger than the, ourselves, that could be God, that could be a cause, that could be you know, helping other people in any way in this world, you are going to be more vital. Um, and I think we, you know, we cannot be our most vital selves without believing in something bigger and seeking to serve uh, people in need. Um, I, I welcome your comments about this. Um, you know, this does not auto add automatically um, mean you have to believe in God, but I think we need to seek to use our time, our talent, and our treasure in pursuit of what I call a higher calling. Uh, and that higher calling is something other than you, other than making you perfect, doing something to use that time, talent, treasure, and enthusiasm. Um, so the, the, the data is just continuing to go off the chart about how this is valuable. I encourage you to look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site to, to, to read more about it. But another paper we, we went over in there showed that religion and spiritual activities associated with higher life satisfaction, better life well-being and less anxiety. They use something called Z-scores, which is a fancy statistical analysis, and they looked at a whole bunch of papers, and they found that, that it's pretty clear. Uh, the, the more you are connected to either religion or spirituality, the better your overall well-being is. And my suggestion and my hope with this discussion in detail today is that it will spark more conversations about, especially about how religion and spirituality can help us combat the mental health crisis that's facing our, our planet today. Um, so I welcome your comments. You can put them on the Vitality Explorer Substack site um, and share this with people if you're, especially now during the holidays, uh, as a way to either connect uh, religiously or connect spiritually uh, within yourself, within your community, and within the world. So we'll move on to the part two of this podcast, and we're going to talk about how to live in the Vitality Octagon. So this is sort of similar to what we just talked about in terms of spirituality and your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. 
I broke it down. I'm a little bit of a reductionist here. I broke it down then to eight specific skills that I called the Vitality Octagon. And you can see the fancy Vitality Octagon logo that I created or uh, on there. And the, the eight components of your vitality that I work on when I'm teaching my uh, Vitality Essentials class are hope, time, sleep, fitness, purpose, service, closeness, and discipline. And today we're going to talk about four of those. You, you can again look at this on vitalityexplorer.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the Vitality Explorer news text message newsletter, which comes to your phone for free once a week uh, that has links to all this information. And I look forward to, to also hearing from anybody who would like to connect with me. You can send me an email at am at daretobevital.com. So, the primary thesis of Vitality Explorers in my work is that vitality is a constellation of interconnected skills. And those eight things we talked about comprise the Vitality Octagon, and today we're going to talk about four of them. And I developed the Octagon to, provide, to sort of provide a visual model of these interconnected um, skills. So let's talk about one. Let's just jump in into the first one. And the first, first idea is to be a, a savvy investor in your own life. And so I want people to, to, to you know, begin today to take ownership over your choices and decisions. Uh, and again, I'm doing this for myself as well. Part of the work that I've done for Vitality Explorers, uh, which started six or seven years ago now, was just to help my, myself and my family and my friends live their most vital life. But what I've heard back from a lot of the, uh, the webinars or the classes or the people I've interacted with is the number one thing that I help people with is their time. So that's where we're going to start with. And we start with time because it can affect all of the other skills. And we need to become elite managers. You know, you are in charge of your time. We need to become elite managers of this most precious non-renewable resource in order to optimize our life. So I'm going to give you two time tips. Again, you can look on vitalityexplorers.substack.com for more details and more links to you know learn how to be ruthless with your time and other things. But here are the two time tips. Number one eliminate a life leak, such as too much social media or gossiping. Use that time to go for a walk, call a friend, meditate, just do anything else than whatever your life leak can be. And life leaks are things that you do that are not helping enhance yours or somebody else's vitality. Okay. Number two, write down your top 10 things to do in rank order. We all have a million things we might want to do or are responsible to do, but be precise about the ones you list in the top three. And then spend 90% of your time on only those three and give yourself permission to spend zero time on the bottom three. So take, take the time. I have this crazy aphorism. Thinking about how you spend your time is never a waste of time. Thinking about how you spend your time is never a waste of time. So when you're creating that top 10 list of things you need to do, be careful about it. Take your time because that helps will help you with managing your time. All right. The second one is sleep. And optimizing time should unlock more opportunities for sleep. So if you plug one of your life leaks and you've got an extra 15 or 30 minutes, maybe that's time you go to bed early. Maybe you spend more time on it. The, the problem with sleep, the number one problem with not sleeping well is we fail to prioritize our sleep. We shout out dangerous, you know, mantras like you can sleep when you're dead. I used to say that <laughs> maybe or smart vitality explorers, I think, should reject that aphorism and make sleep a primary priority. And here are two specific sleep tips. Number one, set a specific time to go to bed and wake up and then stick to that schedule. 
Okay. These, again, these tips are based on published peer-reviewed data. You can, you can read more about it on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. So number one, take a spe- make a specific time to go to bed and then wake up whenever you can. Number two, write down your things that you're going to do the next day on a piece of paper with a pen. Remember to prioritize them appropriately. But then when you write them down on a piece of paper, that releases them from your, your, your subconscious and you can actually sleep better. This is actually a very cool study uh, that people did where they either wrote their stuff, uh, their, their list down or they didn't write their list down. The people who actually wrote their list of things to do the next day slept better. All right, last two here, fitness, all right? We, you know, this is again, components of the Vitality Octagon. We're going over four of them today. And we all know that we need to exercise in order to optimize our vitality. And many of us fail. Well, here's my question, why? Well, I think it has to do with the first two, time and sleep. So if we're not optimizing our time and we're not optimizing our sleep, then we are tired and we don't have time to work out. Um, And I think it's impossible to be fit without putting in effort. Okay, there isn't a pill. There are some pills out there that people are starting to become addicted to, I think, to decrease their appetite. But that, you know, this pill where you can, you know, make yourself magically fit and perfectly optimal with your weight is I think it's a I think it's a pipe dream. And I think it's dangerous because as we get older, it takes more effort just to stay the same. So you can think of the time you spend doing anything to exercise, walking, biking, lifting weights as making deposits in your vitality bank account. Now that bank account's gonna grow if you're consistent and pay massive long-term dividends, right? So if you put in that time, I wish I had some way of optimizing this, where if I put in some time working out X, Y, or Z, you know, walking, lifting, running, doing anything, I got some sort of bank account number that I could look at and say, oh, watch my 401k grow, watch my vitality bank account grow. Here are two specific fitness tips. Number one, exercise relentlessly. This means to stretch, run, you know, lift, work out whenever you can, even if it's a minute or two. There's emerging evidence that even a few minutes, three, four, five minutes may be significantly valuable. Okay, it doesn't have to be an hour a day. Do not discount that uh, value a little bit. Sometimes we go, oh, I can only do something for 10 minutes. Well, that's better than nothing. Every little um, amount counts. Just get moving and your future self will thank you. Number two, being honest. I said maybe permission to be honest here. Number two is you cannot outrun your mouth. And that means you cannot overeat if you, you know, just because you're exercising. Sometimes I definitely indulge too much after I've exercised and I've got to be very careful. Came up with this suggestion, not me, somebody, something I read uh, this past week suggested that we, you know, just eat until we're about 80% full. Sometimes we don't feel full until a little bit after we've eaten. So stop at 80% and then reassess, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes later to see if you really need to eat anymore. Now, again, I'm not an absolute expert on this. I welcome your comments on it, uh, but those are my two tips about exercise and, and maybe a little bit about diet. The final one we're going to talk about in this section is discipline. All right. And I suggest that we double down on discipline. And executing with consistent effort, I think, is the most undervalued pathway to vitality. Just a little bit of effort is so important. And I don't think we can live our most vital lives without being disciplined. And discipline, by definition, is difficult. And here's here's the dictionary definition. I wanted to look it up just to make sure I got it right. It's a code of behavior that demands we be responsible for our decisions and choices. And here are some components of discipline. 
Discipline demands we be consistent. It de- a discipline expects us to endure pain and keep going. And wait for it. Discipline, I think, is its own reward because we will have less regret when we are disciplined. So most people have limited or zero capacity uh, for discipline at times. Okay, we, we tend to slack. And it's okay to once in a while, obviously, slack. But seek instead to be the person that embraces discipline and reaps its rewards. I have something on the Substack site about Ryan, Ryan Holiday's amazing book called Discipline is Destiny. And it's a review of some of the Stoic philosophy and other things about how important des- discipline uh, is to our overall sense of well-being. So you can check that on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. We're going to finish up with a really interesting uh, new study that suggests that you can get a 20% gain by exercising the opposite knee. And so we'll go over the data on this one. And this is this is with regard to knee osteoarthritis, but it could be for a variety of diff- different things. And knee osteoarthritis is something I see every day, all day long in, in my practice. And um, it's common, it's painful, and almost always associated with a, a loss of some muscle strength on the affected leg. And sometimes, however, when you ask somebody to, hey, can you do even just a simple thing like a quad extra activation exercise or try to ride an exercise bike, they can't because it hurts or, or there's too much swelling. So a new approach to improving leg muscle strength was validated by a recently published study. And the investigation looked at strengthening the unaffected knee to help improve the affected knee. And the the subjects were divided into intervention and control groups. The intervention group did four sets of six to eight repetitions of of a unilateral, just one leg, exercise at 80% of their one um, repetition maximum. And they did this for, for four weeks. So they had a total of 12 sessions over four weeks. Uh, they were doing six to eight reps. And what they found is that they're just doing the opposite unaffected leg, but the, the leg that was not strengthened, in its strength increased by 20%. That's incredible. That's crazy, right? So you can look at the graphs on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. And here's a couple quotes from the paper. Quote, retention of the knee extensor strength gains of both the trained and untrained knee osteoarthritis limbs was observed three months following the intervention. In addition, changes in the neuromuscular activation were observed uh, in the affected untrained limb in the uh, intervention group compared to the controls they're uh, showing that cross-education modulates the neural muscular system whereby antagonist co-contraction. Lots of gobbledygook there, okay? But this is something, again, I did not know a lot about, and it's something called cross-education. The idea is to train the unaffected limb or the opposite limb to help improve the function of an affected limb. And here's a systematic review of this, of this concept called the Effective unilater- Unilateral Training on Contralateral Limb Strength in Young, uh, Older, and Patient Populations, a Meta-Analysis cross, of Cross-Education. So the paper looked at two hypotheses, and I think this is kind of cool. Well, how does this work? You know, you're, at, you're working on, let's say it's your right knee that's affected with arthritis or maybe even an acute injury or just pain, and it's a little weaker and you're having trouble moving it, right? What do you do? Well, maybe you work on your opposite left leg. And the idea is two, two thoughts, or there was two hypotheses about how this worked. One is cross activation, which proposes unilateral muscle activation stimulates the brain in both the exercise leg and the opposite unexercised leg. And the second is 
bilateral axis. And this one suggests that the untrained muscle can access the adaptation of the exercise muscle through communications between the two hemispheres of the brain. So I think it's fascinating, very important research that needs to continue to be explored. Um, and, and they found these, these findings in their, in their uh, large analysis. 18% um, increase from baseline strength in young, able-bodied adults. Wow. 15% in older able-bodied adults, and a 29% increase in a patient population that had stroke, neuromuscular disorders, or osteoarthritis. So this is this is crazy important, I think. So it's not a huge study, um, but it's it's not a definitive study. But what's the downside of trying to exercise your opposite leg if one's, one the other one's hurting? And I think it provides elite evidence that we can begin this, and you can start suggesting that you can work on one leg if the other one's bothering you. So disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Always check with your personal physician before beginning any routine. But again, I would encourage you to look on the Vitality Explorer Substack site uh, to learn more about that particular study. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this Vitality Explorer News podcast about religion, spirituality, mental health, the Vitality Octagon, and how you can improve the strength of that opposite leg um, by working on, uh, on knee exercises. Um, this will be the final podcast for 2022. Uh, we're going to take a week off at the end. And then get ready for 2023 because we're going to jumpstart that right away and get after it as we always do on Vitality Explorers. I hope everyone out there has a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year a little early. And as always, get out there, do your best for the rest of this year, and dare to be vital.